0: Podcast, where we encourage you to draw every day. On today's episode, we have a lecture from Alex Kahn, delivered by artist Peter Misseljia, on the topic of infusing emotion into your art. Also, the Drawn Today members get together and muse about the concepts of archetypes and living your art. they are watching everything.
1: Oh, well, welcome That's to another episode of the Drawn Today podcast, where we encourage you to draw every day.
2: Uh, today we have... Do we? Really? Do we? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I
3: draw every day, guys. I'm doing something Try. every seven days a week. Hmm. Anyway, so, hey, what's your website, Mark?
1: My website is markharchard.com. Yeah. What's your
3: website, Jason?
2: cheeseman meyercom and you,
3: Aaron? Aaron dot com. I think I interrupted uh, Mark. He was gonna say something else. Sorry.
1: No, I was just saying and.
3: And then I was oh. going to direct it at one. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what happens when you don't have anyone uh like an actual host. <laughs> we all take that job and we never know who's gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, hosts are for the week. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So anyway, we just we all of us recently returned from aluxcon and we have a uh, an audio portion of uh, a lecture that was going on that was put on from Peter Massalgia. and he had been discussing the topic of uh, putting emotion into your art in order to better communicate with uh, the people and the viewers that are are going to be seeing your art. Uh, so there are a couple of questions that popped up in my mind that I wanted to talk to you guys about today uh, to kind of you know, get into the, to the mood of this uh, lecture topic. And one of them is something that Jason and I uh, discussed specifically with uh, Peter, and that was the idea of having archetypes in your, in your work and when I say archetypes, for those who may not be familiar with the concept, it's it's these type of subjects or topics that seem to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Recur. Recur, recur <laughs> in, in <laughs> stories or in art or in um, any type of, of communication uh, between people and for example, you know the, the archetype of the the hero and the villain, um, or or the archetype of uh, young love, uh, or you know the, the the old wisdom type of thing. And one of the things that we had discussed was that if you can put some of these types of archetypes in your work it can communicate with a larger number of people uh, regardless of culture or location or what have you. Um, do you, do either of you guys think along those lines when you're choosing subjects for, let's, let's talk about our personal work because a lot of times commissions are, you know, chosen by someone else. But when you're, when you're looking at your personal work, do those type of things pop up into your mind, into your,
2: Themes and subjects? Well, I think, you know, uh, uh, types and, and sort of subgenres uh, are a big part of our vocabulary, and so they, they tend to, although I almost never start a piece from there. Um, I usually start from a, 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 a juxtaposition of images or from emotional feeling and that sort of stuff. And then, as I'm fleshing it out, um, these characters are are pulled together to, you know, act it out for me. And uh, you know, a lot of they, the word archetype is is so encompassing. Anything that's a, a you know, it's not just Jung's four universal archetypes. It's any of these repeated patterns um, that that a bit of typology uh, shows up pretty quickly in the process. Although I think I'm always looking to, to sort of establish an archetype and then, and then break it in some way
3: that makes it interesting.
2: Aaron, what were you going to say?
3: Wow. I I haven't really thought of it that way. Um, uh, Most of the, work i've been doing has um just been uh commission work uh illustrations so i try and treat all of those as you know personal as as i can but i just never really considered uh, breaking it down to such a, a very basic element as these uh the the archetype um i i suppose if if the the commission says the hero doing this uh, it's done for me i don't have to think about it um the archetype is already been discussed by the art directors um, but as far as some of the semi-personal work like the workshops i've been doing i feel like that's pretty personal even though you know i'm doing it with other people um uh, the characters I think I try and create uh, might might fit that. And I don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong, but uh, I guess I just never thought of it like that. Is that a I, big deal to not think of it like that? Well, I guess that's what we're discussing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you think, think I'm missing out?
2: No, no. I, I think when uh, when Peter and Mark and I were having this discussion. Uh, uh, Peter started off by talking about um, sort of the, the the national identity of uh, his book, uh, Legend of Steel Bashaw, That it's a, a Serbian folktale. It's it's something he's pulled out of his childhood, um, and that he was worried. Well, uh, worried is the wrong wrong way to put it, but um, concerned. He felt that that probably make it a bit opaque to, uh, American audiences, for example, because we aren't familiar with the story. We don't, you know, even the, the landscapes and that sort of stuff aren't the the familiar ones, uh, to, to us and to our history. Um, and so, so Mark Larch launched in with his talking about, you know, these, um, you know, these archetypes are still there. The patterns are still there. It's, it's you know, it's not a guy that we've heard of before, but it's a dude on a horse, and there's a dragon, and there's monsters, and there's, you know... And he's heroic. And, right, right. And, and it's, we recognize it real fast.
3: Um, right. It's just a new name. It's a new character. But it, the same story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's I mean it's it's along the lines of why something like, for example, a, a Star Wars resonated. You know, you have your, you know, your archetypal, you know, bad guy, <coughs> your ultimate bad guy, and you have your, um, you know, your underdog of a of a hero um, who needs to grow, you know, over his journey to be able to beat out the villain, and you know, and you have all of these characters that are so, you know, such specific archetypes that it resonates
2: with people from, you know, what, across the spectrum. And for, for those of you who are interested, Mark is basically summarizing uh, Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, um, which takes on uh, Star Wars and a bunch of other things, but like marks out these these guideposts that these hero stories have and these recurrent characters in them. Um, it's, yeah, uh, they, they work. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's and the only reason that I started that I bothered that I stopped Mark to point it out is because I thought somebody might enjoy reading it in more detail. So, Joseph Campbell, Hero with a Thousand Faces. There we go. Is
3: it an audiobook? Uh,
2: you know, when I read it there was no such thing as audiobooks. Um, <laughs> I am confident somebody's made it into one. I'm sure we could all look it up on Amazon after.
1: Well i mean i I didn't specifically you know mention that one particular story other than jumped into my head you know the first thing but but there are, there are many instances where you know these frame stories are built and, and characters are just overlaid in these frame stories and, and environments are overlaid these frame stories, but it's the frame itself, these archetypes that that resonate to people and that was one of the things, reasons why um, Peter's work, even though, you know, his initial impressions may have been that, you know, they only would speak to a Serbian or Eastern European audience because, you know, the the stories were from that area of the world, yet the, the framework is so universal that it doesn't it doesn't have those limitations of locality it, it you know the the topics the themes the archetypes speak to to a number of people um i know myself specifically i i am attracted to uh, fairy tales and, and folk tales and things and, and a lot of the reason why uh, i'm attracted to those is that they have a specific archetypal frame you know they they're either cautionary tales about, you know, wh- what many people have done or not done or gone through, you know, things to be scared of, you know, bumps in the night or, uh, you know, like, for example, Little Red Riding Hood and many stories, you know, you have the, you know, the evil and the innocent and the hero, you know, in, in the respect and uh, the characters of Red Riding Hood, the werewolf and the huntsman. Uh, so and and. Those type of things communicate to the masses, and and after having this discussion with Jason and, and Peter in the hall uh, at AlexCon, it made me think that this might be something that I should probably think about a little more than I than I do um, to see if I could communicate with a larger audience.
2: Um, now, I things- I, I want to. Uh- add something on to here because one of the things that I, I brought up at, at the time and we were talking with Peter about um, <coughs> was that you know maybe these, these archetypes are here but the fact that they're there isn't what makes his work attractive to people or uh, successful it isn't having the archetypes. Ilix Khan was filled with paintings of guys on horses with armor and dragons. And um, and frankly, most of them were fabulous, uh, but uh, the one, honestly, the, the piece that I kept going back to to see over and over was that, that big painting of Peters um, that just hit me in a, a very specific way. And I am not a big Dragon and Armor fan. Um, I, I don't dislike it by any shape of the imagination, by any stretch of the imagination. But that's—I'm not going to come across the room to say, "Ooh, it's a dragon! I got to go see the dragon." Um, it was the the, the craftsmanship and uh, that that brought me over. And then once I had been sort of invited in through his. Um, his composition and the body language of his figures and uh, the, the texture of his paint and the expressiveness of his palette and sitting there and soaking all that in, um, then I came around to you know the, the story and the characters and that sort of stuff and the archetypes, um, but those were not my, personally, my entry point into the piece, into his work. Or much of anybody else's. Um, but it generated a layered
1: effect for you. A, a certain depth that might have been lost in some other painting that might have had the same craftsmanship?
2: I think... Uh, I don't know. I don't... I. That's, well, that's I mean, possibly true and possibly not, is how I feel. I... I I have
1: an, a thought on this, and, and i definitely not going to use any names, but um, I'm familiar with t- two artists who have a very similar style. Um, they had worked together, and as far as the craftsmanship and application of the paint and all of that type of thing is, is a very similar process and, and a very similar level of finish of craftsmanship, yet one artist, the paintings were inviting and they they sucked me in and they made me want to explore the world that was being displayed to me. And the other artist just felt cold and lifeless and didn't really make me feel like I wanted to explore these worlds that were being displayed to me. Um, So... For me, I, I think that, as you said, that you know the, the craftsmanship can can draw you in um, and make you want to look at it more. But it's, it's the uh, other layers that make you want to keep looking at it and keep exploring and oh, looking at the depth.
2: Okay, fine, fine. But I'm I'm first off, I'm I'm certainly not saying mere technical facility. It's like, ooh, isn't it amazing that. You know how well he can paint a hand, or, or whatever, um, that that expressiveness and emotional connection is a hundred percent what I'm trying to talk about here. Um, I I just don't want. I, I don't agree with the idea that that this use of archetypes is the only way to accomplish that. Um, I I oh, think if, I, if Peter were to draw, you know. Edward Hopper scenes with uh, you know guys on sailboats and you know khaki pants doing nothing at all uh, or you know a girl looking out a window I think I would be similarly uh, enthralled. Um, I would be intrigued by who these characters are, um, what the scene means, what you know etc cetera, etc cetera.
1: I definitely hope I'm not coming across as, as purporting that you know, having archetypes and these type of things in your, your work is the only thing that's going to draw you in and, and, and keep you interested. Um, I'm just trying to express that it's, it's an added layer that some paintings seem to lack to me when I go
2: back and I really look at them and analyze them. Okay. Uh, and, and maybe more pertinently, it's, it could be a useful framework uh, as as creators ourselves as artists to approach the creation of a painting it could be a very useful way to to look at how we build images
3: right right well but i mean take it take an artist like um uh, Jamie Wyatt you know Wyatt sorry whoops <laughs> my wyatt's my dog's name uh you know he or um andrew and jamie i I had a chance to see some of their work at the um at the brandywine and you know maybe it's particularly uh andrew that did you know very quiet characters you know if you want to label them with a uh, an archetype you probably can but you know they're they they're just so quiet um so they, they, they don't have those heroes or damsels or monsters, and, and they're just as powerful. And I think that's what Jason's trying to say, is that it doesn't always have that. Sometimes it's, it's that story. It's still it's the storytelling overall, rather than what the story uh, has to revolve around. But it's, it's, it's just that there's a story there, and, uh, and it's intriguing. Right.
1: Well, that being said, um, why don't we get to Peter's lecture and we'll swing back around and uh, follow up afterwards.
2: Sounds good. Uh,
4: you probably heard the expression I think, therefore, I am this expression was uh, created uh, by uh, René Descartes, and it, uh, he was a French philosopher and a writer, and uh, he was extremely important for, as well, philosophy and, and science. And uh, he, he played also a key role in the scientific revolution. And because he was, he came up with this expression in the 17th century, and it was on the, the time when the scientific revolution began and when uh, the Age of Enlightenment was launched. So in that period, uh, people started to leave the concept of belief and religion, and they went more towards the concept of uh, intellect and science. So this expression, I think, therefore I am, has defined a lot, you know, our present uh, life philosophy and the way we approach it and see things, <clears throat> and subsequently also the way how we see art, experience art and also how we create art. This guy was a very clever guy, <laughs> uh, but I say, I feel therefore I am. Why? I, I don't want to say that uh, his expression is not true, it's definitely true, but it's not all. There are more things than, than uh, intellect in our life, especially in art. It has been said that the complex emotions define a human being perhaps more than any other aspect of him. And uh, when it comes to art, emotion plays a key role. And we know that, definitely. Because people need emotion in order to connect. And because art is made by people, art needs emotion also. Uh, to connect with people. And by saying this, I don't want to marginalize the importance of an idea, of of ideas in art, but I uh, believe that emotion or emotions uh, are the uh, uh, more essential. Even when, uh, when an idea is very appealing to us, it is, I believe, the emotion which goes with that idea that attracts our attention towards that idea. So it's much about emotion, although we are most of the time, or perhaps not most of the time, but often uh, not aware of that, because we focus very much on technique. And technique is actually, we will see later, expression of emotion. And when, when it comes to a great piece of art, uh, I think that, that the emotion is that what touches us deeply and moves us profoundly. So uh, that's the theory, and uh, theory is very nice, but it has not much sense unless it has been proven in practice. So uh, therefore the question that presents itself is how do we infuse our artwork with emotion? I came up with, uh, with, with, uh, I believe, a kind of answer. This question, and I divide it in three stages. The first stage is, according to me, and based on my own research and experience and my own insights, is uh, get emotionally involved with the subject you pain Getting emotionally involved with the subject you pain means actually to identify with uh, uh, with the subject, and. Uh, 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 I found a, a very interesting uh, example of, of how identification with the, with the, with the subject matter, that art is based, it can be extremely important. Is extremely important, actually. And I found that example in the uh, among the painters of the icons. So the painters of the icons. An icon is is as you know is a holy picture, which has primarily a liturgic function. And although a product of art, its function is, uh, first of all, to allow contact between the transcendental world and our material world. In other words, a painter of the item is a kind of medium between those two In order to, to perform this task properly, the uh, uh, connection he has with that transcendental, has to be quite pure. In order to achieve that purity, he has to submerge himself in the religi- religious life. Therefore, a uh, uh, painter of the icons is uh, a monk. So it means that he lives his uh, religion, and uh, he lives also his life, uh, his, his art. Before starting, with a new icon, this artist monk meditates, he he, he does his prayers, and that allows him to align with these, you know, let's say, energies of transcendental, so that he can adjust himself spiritually to that level, and, uh, uh, you know, bring the message as pure as possible to our world. So that's the basic principle. He spends a lot of time meditating before he you know, starts painting. He probably wouldn't, uh, wouldn't last long as a commercial artist. <laughs> <laughs> <That's actually> <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> if we project now this principle to, uh, you know, to a usual artist, true artist, by true artist I mean artist who lives his art. Really truly lives his art. Like Monk lives his religion therefore his uh, art icons. When we project the principle, we will be astonished, actually, with the similarities between an icon painter and usual artist painter, because of the need of identification with the subject. And many masters from the past have emphasized the need of getting in contact with with the uh, uh, with that subject or even temporarily becoming the subject itself, to feel it from inside. I'm quite sure that some of you, if not all of you, understand what I mean. That you you know you feel your subject from inside. As long as you feel it, you'll be able to transport you know, it and to put it on the canvas for your board or whatever. Clay or computer, whatever. So, uh, I think, I believe that uh, that the identification part of uh, the art process is uh, crucial, very, very important, especially when it comes to creating good art. And uh, it it, it can be a little bit funny and and even awkward to say, uh, identify with your subject when you are painting zombies, or devils, or even angels. But I believe that that, uh, there is, you know, there is there is zombie in us, there is you know, devil in us, there, there is even angel in us. There is something in us which can help us if we focus our attention to it, which can help us to, to, to draw it better, to paint it better, to depict it better, and to be more visible. As we know, art is conceived first from within and it exists in spirit, and it needs a material means like you know, <coughs> art uh, tools or art technique, generally speaking, to, uh, you know, to incarnate itself into the material world. So, in other words, a technique, an art technique, is actually a medium, a tool, a medium, through which art, you know, is able to present itself into our world. Actually, the components of the process of creation of, of art is, is very... No, the components are inter- uh, interconnected, entangled, and, and it's not very easy to, to you know, to divide them into in different you know, things. Uh, and when you listen to, to my talk, you probably think, "Oh, I did that already. You know, I picked everything online, and I know exactly from which parts my creative process, process uh, uh, is created." But it's not like that. I'm, I'm always searching for it. I'm always trying to define those those spots. Spots. Uh, and just one thing uh, about uh, the painting technique versus, you know, emotional content on the painting. We all know uh, or have been uh, in contact with, with a perfectly, perfect painting, perfectly executed painting, uh, technically speaking, brilliant, but somehow hollow from inside. So it probably means that it lacks the emotional content and that this kind of art will not linger too long, we will forget it, you know, we will forget it. Things that really stay imprinted in us have to have, a, you know, substance in terms of emotion. So painting technique is, according to me, a real of emotion. And if we approach it in this way, I believe we can get out, pull out of our own technique uh, much more. And I'll try to show you you how I try to do it. So although painting technique is extremely important simply because it represents the the, the bridge between the world of ideas or emotions and the material world. Still, the art does not reside on the technique, And that's, I think, I believe strongly very important. The second stage would be uh, stay in emotional contact with your painting subject by, for instance, visualizing the painting before you start. Okay. Spend time visualizing. You know? uh, it's very important. Make Try to make conscious uh, contact between the painting and your you pain and your past experience with the subject matter of your painting, as much as possible, uh, try to go back to the source of this <coughs> uh, Second, what I do is try to recall my childhood or youth memories connected to my to, to that particular thing, uh, subject. Which I think uh, I like uh, very much trees and you see often trees in my paintings and they, although they are not you know very realistic in a certain way you, it's, it's not easy to find these kind of trees outside of, of, of my paintings but still they uh, uh, i wouldn't be able to to create them without analyzing real trees because, uh, without walking among them without you know observing them and visualizing them One thing, one, one, one trick, it's not a trick, but it's, it's just a technique which I use to enhance my ability of visualization is, for instance, when I am about to start with, with a painting, and let's say uh, that painting has as a prominent element a tree in the forest. I go through all the books I have with trees, you know, and I'm just looking through, the, flipping through the pages. I sit down. Uh, and uh, search for, for for the images of the trees uh, on the internet. I go outside, I try to spend as much time as possible walking through the through nature, you know, observing trees. And after that intense process of downloading the visual information, I can close my eyes, you know, and the images of the trees <coughs> are just popping up in front of my inner eyes. And these images are so vivid that I, i'm afraid i will never be able to paint such a vivid of the trees it's beautiful really it's something like all these images which i downloaded uh, go to a kind of inner prison you know and on the other side uh, there appear trees which you know exist uh, doesn't exist but they are extremely vivid and true and from that point i draw my inspiration and that enables me to, I believe, to paint a tree which is not very realistic in its appearance, but in in, in its energy it is, because, you know, nobody told me yet that that my trees are, you know, just staged and and something which does not exist. Most of the people I spoke, I mean, with whom I spoke about that, they were uh, quite um, convinced that these are two trees, not because of my technique. Partly yes, but first of all because of the process of visualizing, identi- identifying the trees in a certain way. Some other things which I do is I, I, I look old photos, you know, black and white photos. I analyze them. There is there is a magic. There is you know something which uh, kind of trains the smell of the gone by ages, which, which which triggers something within me, which inspires me a lot. That's very important. Of course, I read uh, uh, certain books, and uh, I, at the end, analyze the work of the masters, master artists I adore. And uh, that's about, uh, these are things which I use to uh, to stay in emotional contact with, with, with my subject. Actually, this helps me to stay in with that, you know, initial emotion, that's the most important, the emotion is important. Without the emotion, there is no inspiration, in my case, so first emotion, then inspiration. And the third stage uh, would be express the em- emotion through your art technique, and uh, uh, my suggestion to you is choose an appropriate technique, a technique which will reflect your sensibility, your personality. That's your technique. It's not easy to find uh, your own technique. You will have to make uh, you will have to go through practice, through experiments, uh, you know, you will it's it's a long way. There are there are a lot of hurdles. But as long as you you know keep eye on that receptor within, you know sooner or later you will feel which technique is most appropriate for you, does the best, you know, uh, will help you express your uniqueness and your unique emotion. And in order to express uh, emotion, emotions freely and without restraint through chosen technique, you have to master these techniques. So you have to master, that's why you are sitting here. I guess, these days there are many books, websites, you know, blogs, where you can find uh, inspiration uh, and uh, (coughs) achieve your goal of, of, you know, finding your your ultimate technique. Uh, Just choose the most appealing artist or the most appealing technique, you know, and practice hard. After 10 to 20 years, you will become master. (laughs) At least ten years, but you have to really, you have to really be very talented if you want to achieve the the real, you know, level of master within ten years. Uh, I've been practicing Tai Chi for ten years. A few years ago, I stopped with it because I didn't leave that Tai Chi, and I decided it's not anymore work. Uh, I don't know. Possibly you know what Tai Chi is. You've seen people on television moving very slowly, you know, doing almost nothing. <laughs> uh, but it, it is. It is. It has become. Uh, it it it, uh, it started as a as a martial art some 300 years ago in China, and uh, eventually it became actually a kind of inner martial art. You your your opponent is your body, so you have to. You have to beat your body. You, know, you have to conquer your body in order to get to your spirit, or to your, to your, yes, to your spirit, to your emotional aspect. So you have to, you have to practice every day for a couple of hours for ten years. It has been proved to to reach that level of master, to become a master, and then you start to do Tai Chi properly. Then you start to, you know, then you let your, your body do his, its work. Then your spirit does uh, uh, does Tai Chi and the energy flow. The ultimate goal of this is a kind of enlightenment, spiritual, through your body. So I compare this a little bit with painting. You know, in order to be able to, um, to paint freely, to express your emotions, through your technique freely and without restraint, you have to forget about technique. You have to, you have to be such a master of that technique that it doesn't, doesn't matter anymore. You just sit down and you take your brush, put into the you know your paint, and you start technique. So that you can concentrate only on free expression. But there is a trap which we all sooner or later have to deal with. And it is, if we linger too long on technique, technique, we might never make that step towards the free expression in our art. So that's the tricky part. Uh, But the good thing is that uh, what happens in in practice is, most of the time, is that while we are developing our technique, technical skills, we also develop our expression. But only in that period, the uh, emphasis is on developing the, uh, the, 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 the technical skills. We gradually become cognitive of our own path, who we are, and what we want to achieve as an artist. So this process starts, I think, I believe, starts as soon as we start to learn how to pay to master. It starts. But when you reach that level, and it, it is a kind of, I mean, I have to say, I have to be, uh, uh, I'm not very modest, so I'll, I'll not play a game with you. Uh, uh, I've, I've, uh, after almost 20 years, it, it was about two years ago, when I uh, recognized that I don't have, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't struggle anymore with technique. Which doesn't mean that I don't fight with it. Every painting is a kind of fight. But there, there was there was a kind of uh, invisible border which I crossed two years ago, about two years ago, and I had a very strong sense of every time when I put the brush with the paint on my canvas, on board, magic starts happening. It's not something that I, uh, you know, intentionally projected onto myself. It just happened. I was surprised. But I'm talking about so i will I lived in the Netherlands 20, for 20 years. So, 18 years after I came to the Netherlands, it happened. But before that, I was drawing and painting for 10, 15 years. I started as a comic artist. Later on, I went to the art academy and started painting. As soon as I finished the academy, I moved to the Netherlands. So, it took me, actually, all in you know, it took me 25 years reach that point, you know, uh, when I felt that I was ready to create art. To be busy really with free expression, to express my uniqueness. So it's it's a long way. It's a long way. I guess I, I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> I am here in order to explain properly these three stages of infusing an art piece with emotional content, I will have to tell you something about the genesis of my book. Legend of Slugosho, for as far as I'm concerned, it uh, uh, perfectly reflects uh, uh, all the mentioned stages. So, so, and uh, I decided to, to go to the Netherlands, not because I, I've been there earlier, but because a few months before that, I was trying to, to, to do a copy of uh, Vermeer's painting, the, the, the milkmaid. And I was, at that time, very much in love with, with uh, uh, the golden age, Dutch golden age, art from golden age, 17th century, and also uh, uh, Dutch architecture from that period. So that was my reference, you know. There was nobody I knew there who could you know, help me or something. So I just had to had to run away, and the uh, destination was the Netherlands. Was a few days later, I came out of the uh, train in Amsterdam, Central Station And uh, to make my story shorter, I will say that uh, uh, the following five years were uh, uh, the, the most terrible years of my life I had to uh, fight for survival on a daily basis I didn't have, uh, you know, roof about my head, I didn't have... Job, uh, I didn't have any kind of uh, certainty, uh, no money, whatever. So I had to provide all these things myself. I had to stay uh, physically in life, alive, and also mentally and emotionally, especially. So it was not only physically very hard, it was uh, especially mentally a kind of hell I was going through. And it lasted for about five years. And then I met this lady, uh, and it's my wife now, already for 16 years, uh, So, and she saved me in a certain way. I found, I was, I was lucky, some people helped me, and I, I found quite quickly a kind of job. I did, uh, after I arrived, uh, uh, and for the next two years, I did a very commercial job, very badly paid. And uh, it was, as I said, very, 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 uh, very heavy. And the only thing I could rely on on was my work, was my art, because all Mm -hmm. other things were definition of uh, uncertainty. Nothing (laughs) is certain. (laughs) So that. Part of my work, my work safety, safety, safety physically and also emotionally. Uh, however, after two years of struggle and uh, doing commercial work, uh, I felt that uh, the time came for me to do something for myself. I was being very homesick, and uh, uh, I uh, had begun to have problems with identity. I actually lost contact with my identity because identity, uh, which I brought with me from Yugoslavia, was not uh, compatible with my new life circumstances. So I had to reinvent my identity. In order to do that, I had to die first deep into my presence in that time, identity, national identity, and uh, to, uh, to find out where I am, otherwise I wouldn't be able to survive.
0: Yeah.
4: So I mean, although although uh, people who, who experienced, who, who were forced to, to leave their country, you know, uh, know what I'm talking about. People who always stayed uh, on their soil, with a little bit imagination, you know, they could you know could understand, could feel a little bit. But actually, you have to you have to you have to experience that. In your real life, to to, to, to understand how uh, how big the problem is the problem of identity, which all immigrants uh, face, they don't talk much about. it. They just show it. Some show it uh, show show this the, 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 you know this problem in, in a bad way. Some uh, immigrants show it in you know creative way. I try to to, to, to do it in a creative way. So in order to help this inner journey. I decided to, to illustrate uh, a Serbian folk tale, Baschel, still in English. And this is the, the most popular uh, Serbian fairy tale. Uh, by the way, it has been illustrated by a famous uh, English-French, French-English illustrator, Edmund Dulac, in 1916. It was published within his collection of the fairy tales of allied nations. During the First World War. Uh, anyway, uh, it was a challenge for me, and uh, uh, in order to do it properly, I uh, had to dive. You know, I have to uh have to dive into my you know national identity, uh, which was uh, very elating, but also very intimidating. So. We have here, the first of these stages, uh, my emotional involvement with the subject. And the subject was uh, the, the fairy tale itself, the national fairy tale, something which I could very much identify with. So this is the first stage, the example of the first stage. And uh, the second stage was, uh, so for a number of years I stayed in emotional contact with my subject by digging through history, technology, literature, art uh, of my people and my motherland uh, and by doing so I strengthened and examined at the same time my relationship with that national identity because this is, this is the, the basic identity of all of us, you know we're Americans, <laughs> I'm uh, half Serb, half Dutch, you know, and uh, that's how you start that's what you identify yourself with, with your social, with your social surroundings while you are growing up. So that was the first thing. But I don't, I don't remember when and how. After a while, that national aspect of of, of this inner journey slowly shifted towards more, the more universal dimensions of identity and. Uh, Although I stayed always in contact with that national part of of, of this story, you know, I kind of uh, drifted away towards uh, the world of archetype and mythology. And strangely, I found myself at contact there. So, this archetype level of our existence, which is uh, primarily uh, uh, expressed through mythology, was actually true home of my, you know, of artist to do, and I find found home there. And the third stage is express your emotions through your painting. Uh, I will, uh, you know, uh, show you that how I do that, actually. But before that, I just want to say that. Uh, it didn't happen like this, I told you, it took me 20 years to, to, to reach a certain level But as far as this book is concerned, I was, doing, I was working on this book for quite a long time, 15 years Not in one piece, you know, there were a lot of breaks I had to you know, work, do commercial things to, to earn enough money for reading uh, The longest uh, break uh, uh, took 7 years anyway I was living with this project for 15 years and uh, uh, during that period uh, my technique changed simultaneously with the change and shift within my personality uh, so it grew together with, with me and it was that growth s- uh, si- simultaneous growth with on one side me as a personality and my technique enabled a kind of uh, you know very solid contact between us. So from a certain point on, I was not anymore thinking about how should I express my emotion through my brush strokes. So it started to happen on its own. And uh, by saying this, I would like to close this theoretical part of my my first uh, presentation ever.
1: Okay, well, we're back from the lecture moment, and uh, one of the things that that came up was, you know, living the the art that you are painting, um, really immersing yourself in, uh, you know, the themes that uh, that you're going to be painting, and this actually had prompted a conversation between you and I, Aaron, at uh, DragonCon about how you, if you are going to be a type of artist, let's for example say you're going to be a, a pinup artist, um, that you need to immerse yourself in this world of, you know, I'm, I'm thinking along the lines of Hugh Hefner and smoking jackets kind of thing, and and, 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 and what <laughs> sure. I'm wondering is, you know, is it do you need to do you feel like you need to do that to be able to paint that type of topic or do you feel like you need to do that to portray the image of the artist who paints that type of topic
3: well personally i think um let's say let's take this from like say an illustrator's point of view like my point of view if i get a topic i want to immerse myself as much as i can but i i probably won't immerse myself to the point of becoming becoming that but on the other hand, like, say, if I was a full-time pinup artist, that that was my job. That's who I am. Why wouldn't... It, it would only make the mystique of the artist. That's the other side of uh, the purchase of any painting. Is not just a painting. But it's, it's, but it's the artist as well. Um, so you you have this personality... And if the personality is selling what's in the painting, that that painting becomes so much more alluring, I, I would think. Um, well, uh, you could do like pinup artist, or if it even even like um, super dark stuff, you know, you that if that guy, if if you see him and he, you know has that look like he could fit inside one of his paintings, then uh, there's something to that. If, if the art, if the, if people can't connect the, that person that, or that life that you're um, putting into your painting doesn't exist. Sometimes sometimes it's just not going to come out. Um, So like for my work, I'll really try and get into it. I'll, uh, I'll do as much research as I can, probably more than I, I should. And definitely more than I, uh, the, the commission usually pays for, but I get really excited about it. You know, like the, I finished this pirate commission and I really you, got into you walking
1: around with a parrot on your shoulder. I mean, well, like are, I said,
0: uh, <laughs>
1: I mean, because aren't, I, aren't we talking two different things here? Aren't we talking though? You know, the marketing of the artist as opposed to the creation
2: of the art. I I um, I don't think no not just that because I'm 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 with Aaron on on a lot of this that I really get into the research stage, um and and really enjoy that that sense of like soaking up the subject matter and having it mean something to me.
1: Well, I'm not yeah. saying that that's not you know that many artists don't do that or you know all all of us don't do that to some degree. But what I'm uh, what I'm saying is you know do do you have to have the, the the person who's seeing the painting, you know, may not necessarily see the artist, or may not necessarily know the artist, or the, or the lifestyle the artist leaves or or even the image that the artist is portraying. So, f- from that standpoint, if you separate the artist, you know, and their personality and their lifestyle from the art that they're creating, and, and the person is viewing, aside from the artist, if they're not standing next to it you know does can you be a pinup artist without being Hugh Hefner can you be I, you know, a
3: dark artist without being and the um, answer is yes <laughs> <laughs> i think it, well yes 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 and no but here here's a great example of a situation uh the the book that Jim Pavlek just put out the hymns and wretched offerings to the golden ones um the only thing I, You know he's my friend Uh, but I wasn't allowed to put any work in the book because my soul wasn't dark enough Um, that 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 a demon that I would have created just would not have fit because of my personality Um, well I can create one I could certainly uh, fulfill any description but because he just says I'm too nice of a guy he just knows that that it's not there that darkness isn't there um that that I probably that I'm not going to pull it off just because I, I'm too good, so I mean you know after a while it's just it's a joke between us, but uh you know there I think there's a little something to that um, maybe
2: so, but we could certainly sit here and
3: list. Uh,
2: hundreds of very successful cowboy painters who have never ridden a horse. Uh, we can talk about <laughs> uh, fantasy artists who are famous for their, their lush, incredible landscapes, uh, who are fat couch potatoes who will not even go near the window if it's raining. Uh, they just have no interest in touching nature without you know a nice protective sheet of glass between them and it. Um, but their work is a hundred percent convincing. You look at it, and and you just believe uh, their love and their immersion in in this subject matter.
3: Yeah, I, I. Well, I think we were just talking about how how to make it better. That imagine that that guy who never gets out. Imagine him getting out into you mean Charles the wild. <laughs> who (laughs) (laughs) what Who? no
2: no 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 Uh, not 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 on a public recording (laughs) now you can ask
3: me later anyway um so yeah sure uh the answer to all the questions is yes but (laughs) but but i mean how much better would it be um how much better would your understanding of the subject better be if you went out there? What what is that artist uh, either covering up or using over and over and over again uh, because they just don't know what's out there? Um,
2: and and you know I should in in disclosure here that I, while I'm being a bit bit of a jerk and arguing against this, that I've uh, you know taken classes in driving race cars because uh, I wanted to be able to draw chase scenes better. And I've done lots of training with firearms and various kinds of weapons and that sort of stuff, largely because I wanted to be able to draw on that experience uh, in the art that I did that had that sort of subject matter in it. So um, I, I do agree with you at a, uh, at a very significant level here.
3: Right, but to, to your same point, that doesn't make you uh that doesn't make that any gun that you've drawn or painted any better or worse than than a guy who's never picked one up who just happens to, you know, do amazing, you know, fire firearms, guns for uh maybe some video games and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But on the flip side of that, I remember there was a uh a gun challenge, a design, design, a weapon. uh, I remember that one a year. Yeah. A year or two ago. And then the, the judge was actually a firearms expert or, or something like that, but he could see in all the designs who understood a gun for what it was and who had no clue what was happening with a gun and what, and, and those, that's exactly what would come up if you don't understand how the the mechanics work what what all the parts do when you reimagine it you're you're not going to catch all those things well it's kind of like you're when you go, miss
2: kind of like when you go to the movies and and the the lead character is is playing electric guitar, and if you happen to play guitar, you know that he that is not <laughs> he's like he's not holding it right that's not the chord that is being played it's Painfully obvious to you that it's fake, but if you're not right. a guitar player,
0: hey, surely
3: he's great. doing awesome. Yeah. yeah, I've had that experience. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and so, and, so at, a, at a very practical level for us, Aaron, uh, how much of where do we draw the line? Where like, do we uh, can we afford to invest the time in every commission to to fool the the expert guitar player into thinking no, but, that we can really play guitar?
3: But I, I think the point is is that I think the idea is an okay thing. Like if someone is sitting there questioning, should I should I do this? And again, the answer is yes. Why not? Uh, you're only going to benefit yourself uh, from doing that. Um, sometimes I would the like answer to say is, that
2: Aaron is not advocating anything illegal <laughs> or immoral or that would hurt people. If you are being paid to draw assassins <laughs> oh. and. Uh,
3: uh, whatever forms of inhumane torture are out there, uh. see now that is exactly why Jim would never let me have anything in his book because I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Now, yeah, okay, so yeah, I, well here oh, well again, uh, I was working on a a, a zombie uh, demo, and I wanted to do a little bit of research for some of the gory stuff. And it was doing that research that I had, it, it really hit me why I don't do gory, uh, <laughs> dark things. I'm just not into that stuff. Um, I didn't enjoy doing that research. So mm-hmm. um, I think zombies are cool, but I think I will avoid the research.
1: <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, uh, I have a, uh, Illustrate a black and white uh, illustration book by Boris and Julie. Uh, and there's a quote in there where Boris was talking about doing a, a, a cal- yearly calendar for, of uh, female pin-ups and then someone suggested that um, he do male pin-ups for the next year. And so he, I think the quote was something like, I got through two months of them and realized
3: my heart wasn't in it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, you just... You know, you, you're just going to be into what you're into. And, uh, you know, I, I would much prefer to, you know, do uh, paintings of women than paintings of mutilated bodies. It's my preference, and I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah, and that's <laughs> with Aaron on this one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep, and I think that's cool. And I think our kind of discussion of method acting here, Uh I, you know, sometimes you hit that stuff and you want to, you want to push your boundaries, you want to increase your repertoire and that sort of stuff. Uh, but there, there quickly comes a time where like, uh, leave it to the dude who loves it. <laughs> like there's, <laughs> exactly. there's someone out here who, who just oh loves and adores this stuff. Let him have it.
3: <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> well I, I agree and that's that's why i have no art in the hymns and wretched offerings to the golden ones as much as i wanted to do one and not in there.
2: I'll, I'll plug it i am not involved in the book in any way shape or form other than i've looked through it and it's pretty cool
3: yeah but i i know it to me it's a funny joke every time i'm like come on jim i i, I could do one he's nope nope <laughs> Nope, no thanks. Not, not interested. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but that's not it. I don't take that as an insult. Um, it's not. It has nothing to do with my talent at all. Uh, it just has everything to do with uh, the. I, I'm not drawing on, on the on the on any specific experience <coughs> to make it work
1: yeah i think I think it comes down to the if you, if you can be involved in what you're drawing or painting, you're going to have a little more familiarity and intimacy with it and if you don't be involved with it I'm sure you can adequately represent it, but you may not have as much dimension with it as you could if you spent more time with the subject and in Aaron's case,
3: that's not disembowelment. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. That's so true. Um, you know, well, uh, I just want to say that that if that's the commission that comes up, uh, I'll do the research. Yes, sir. That, that's part of the job, you know?
2: Aaron is not advocating uh, doing anything immoral. <laughs> he is also not turning down any work um, <laughs> that might come through. <laughs>
3: <control. laughs> But, but those are the but you know this you know comes back to I guess uh, those portfolio questions is even if I do it that doesn't mean that you know those are the things that need to end up in the portfolio because if you don't want to do those then don't put them in your portfolio yeah
2: you hey guys can I uh, add one a quick question a specific thing about uh, Peter's uh, lecture that I don't know that uh, A distinction that he made that was not clear to me, and I wonder if you guys had more insight on this, Uh, when he was talking about his stages of art in creating art, um, um, first you've got the emotion, then you've got the inspiration, and then you've got the expression. I am not sure what the, the significant distinction that he's drawing between emotion and inspiration is. Do you guys have a feel for that? Um, I think emotion com- is an uh, an
1: internal an internalization of um, whatever you're trying to express. Where inspiration comes from e- external. Uh, you know, he gave the example of walking out in the woods th- through the trees. Okay. Um, that inspiration, you know, that external inspiration, visualization from the outside coming in. Um, I think is another layer as opposed to the, you know, emotional response that you generate to just even, you know, thinking on the topic or pondering it or, or whatever. Um, I think it's a, a multifaceted type of thing. And he was just trying to separate the two internal, external. That's how I read it or or, or took it.
2: Okay. that That sounds plausible <laughs> to me. Well, good, because this is all I got. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: I still think I'm on my the long journey of being able to actually express myself through my art.
2: Oh, yeah, but he's I talking think, 25 years. Yeah. 10 to yeah. 25 years to get that level of mastery where it's just uninhibited expression.
3: Yeah, so, I'm not going to worry about that, but I will do what I can to... I think, I think we've just been kind of talking about that staying in emotional contact Mm -hmm. and that's, that's definitely getting involved with the subject matter. Uh, you know, it, it could be, you know, all that could be part of your reference gathering is just that, that emotional, uh, excitement. Like, like I was describing with the pirate stuff, getting, uh, getting costumes, uh, uh, looking through uh, books, watching watching pirate movies, uh, building a, a model pirate ship, thing, all those things. Uh, just even just historical research. Even if you're gonna make it up uh, and, and change it all up, just understanding where uh, the things come from. That uh, the dress, the uh, the sayings and uh, all all that stuff had, had had an origin, and if you can understand it, then you can start twisting it and taking it further. Um, but you know, it's fun getting getting uh, connected that way.
2: It, it is, and and Peter did make a point of that. You know, he 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 also you know loses touch with that that inspiration, that excitement, and that emotion when he's working on a piece. That you know, you get bogged down in the process or whatever, and you kind of lose you know you're painting brick number 700 and you're like, "Yeah, oh, Christ." And he he takes and and this is a something that I want to aspire to as well. He he sort of stops himself and and takes the time to, to recapture that emotional connection uh, with the painting so that that none of it is is rote. That all of it is uh, an expression of, of, of an emotional truth
1: here. here. <laughs> well guys I'd like to thank you for sharing your thoughts on
2: this topic um, and thank you for yeah. arranging all this Mark and, think, think and we have a cake <laughs> and, uh, that's a movie yeah so
1: if you guys want to just uh, let us know where we can uh, see your stuff again
2: and We'll call this a wrap, Jason. Right. All right. Uh, You can see uh, well, you can see lots of my sketches on drawntoday.blogspot.com, and you can see my finished work on Cheeseman-Meyer.com. C H E E S E M A N
3: hyphen M E Y E R dot com. Aaron. Uh, Aaron at AaronBMiller.com or AaronBMiller.com. Cool. Mark? And you can see
1: my work At markharchar.com And you could also see my sketches At
3: drawntoday.blogspot.com Oh Oh I forgot I got to throw in uh, uh, Awesome Horse Studios Sorry No apology Necessary <laughs> <laughs> Awesomehorsestudios.com That's where we do live demos And critiques and- All right
1: Thank you very much. And cue the music.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Drawn Today podcast. Drawn Today podcast is a proud member of the Visual Artist Podcast Network. You can learn more about VAPN at visualartistpodcastnetwork.com. If you have questions or comments on the podcast or for its members, feel free to email us at drawntoday at gmail.com or drawntodaypodcast at gmail.com. Today's music was provided by Collide. Learn more about Collide at collide.net.